You know, it's funny that vulnerability is a powerful thing. Uh, it seems like a paradox because the world tells us that to hide your fears, mask your weakness, cover what you don't know will bring gain and power and worth. But the reality is that the most influential people are those willing to humble themselves and express their struggles um, because it speaks to our common experience. The interview you're about to hear is with someone who is willing to admit their brokenness and express a deep-rooted hope that brings lasting change. Uh, two things that we would request. If you like what you hear, please share. Uh, we do know that tons of people are going uh, through similar circumstances um, and have that uh, common experience with the interviewee. Um, also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support and it will carry you to a link where you can become a patron. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello folks, this is your host Corey Pelton and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. And then one of the pastors asked if she was ready for us to pray that the Lord would take her. And she said, yes. Hello. Shelby. Hey. Hey, it's Corey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's been a little while. It has. On bit. this episode of Fish Food, we welcome Shelby Seagrest. She is a wife, she's a mother of three children, and she tackles her struggle with the divorce of her parents, uh, the death of her mother to cancer, and an amazing act of forgiveness. I remember you calling me the day mom died. Yeah. Um... What year, Which is weird. What, what year, I don't what, remember. I don't remember much about that day, but I do remember that you called. That wow. Day. What what year was that? Two thousand three. Okay, two thousand three. Um, wow. But you were already in Arkansas then, weren't you? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about yourself. I don't. You know, sixteen years. I don't know. Um, you know, you've got a husband and kids, and <laughs> so what do you? <laughs> you've done, you're you're you know you've done a lot in sixteen years. Right, yeah, tell, tell me, just give kind of a brief history of of Shelby. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, we have been married for fifteen years. Uh, this past March, um, I'm married to Hudson, and he um is an interventional cardiologist. Uh, Three kids. Um. Is thirteen and James is ten and Matthew is four. And wow, um, yeah. So. Um, now you know when I send out the pre-interview questions. Um, yeah. There's a question on there that that I, I ask. I say, "What's a place of affliction, hardship, struggle, strife that you've encountered or are currently encountering?" And I mean, I, you know, not having seen you for so long. Um, <laughs> Walking through this, I mean, literally, I teared up um, reading through this. It's it's mm -hmm. it's hard. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read these out. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, divorce of parents when I was 19. Mother's cancer diagnosis and death seven years later. Birth of first child followed three weeks later by Hurricane Katrina. 
Um, you said we lost everything we owned. First child diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Loss of unborn child in 2009 and subsequent years of infertility. Uh, marriage, uh, not in that we want to divorce, just that God honoring biblical marriage is hard and Christians don't, uh, don't talk about it. So dad left um, two weeks before myself, before I went back to school, my sophomore year in college. Okay. Um, they, they had had a hard marriage for a long time, but um, had always told us divorce was not an option. And, you know, as children, we believed them. Um, and, and they had started counseling finally my freshman year in college. And um, my mother worked really hard. Um, and I saw how the Lord use that to grow her and to teach her mm. um so much about what it meant to be a godly wife and and really saw um her heart be turned back towards her husband and um you know just saw the lord how the lord showed her in sin and um and she was real open with me since i was older and away at college and we talked a lot on the phone um it was really just kind of neat to see how God was working in her life. Um, unfortunately, my father wasn't as committed. And, um, and so two weeks before my sophomore year in college, they woke us up one morning and dad said he was leaving and that there were a lot of reasons for it, but that he still loved us. And um, that was that. He moved out that day. Wow. And I went back to school and... Um, the grieving process for me was different than it was for my siblings. I'm the oldest of three. Um, my brother and sister were still at home. And so the reality for them of living life at home without him was different from me being removed right. from it a little bit. Right. Um, and, and me being the oldest, I, I sort of became mom's confidant a, a bit. Um, but it, it came out that he had, um, been having an affair and, um, and that basically he wasn't the man we had thought he had been um, for their entire marriage, going back to even before I was born. And um, that rocked my world, to say the least. And um, the, the relationship that I had with my RUF campus minister at the time, John Stone, was, was really... Um, critical in getting me through those those months I mean because I my knee-jerk reaction was to throw the baby out with the bathwater and to say that this man who had one time even been a PCA pastor um had now rejected the faith and had had never so Shelby mentions John Stone John Stone was a campus minister with a ministry called Reformed University Fellowship, she says RUF, and her father was a pastor in the PCA, or the Presbyterian Church in America. So John Stone was campus minister of the denomination of the Presbyterian Church in America. And, and John was so good about walking me through that, and, you know, I can remember him saying, you know, even false teachers can speak truth and you can't discount everything he taught you right, <laughs> just because right. of who you know him to be now. And, 
Um, and so it was definitely a difficult time. It was the first time um, in my life that there I, I was in the midst of a trial that was bigger than I was and that I couldn't just fix. Um, mm. I like to fix things. <laughs> sure. And here at 19 years old, I couldn't fix it. But my mother was even in the middle of her grief, you know, of the end of her 25 year marriage, um, able to help us as children grieve and teach us how to grieve, grieve. And I, I remember, you know, her, telling me that God was big enough for my grief and he was big enough for my anger and that I could literally crawl up in his lap and beat my fist on his chest and say, I don't understand, but that he was still God and he was still good. Mm. Um, and so that was really just, uh, you know, it was still hard and I didn't, you know, uh, that next, really that next whole year was just such a, a difficult time for to be 19 and away at college, even in a Christian college, there's plenty of um, opportunities to make really poor choices in life. (laughs) And, and I did, and I was angry and I was bitter and um, uh, I did a lot of things to escape and I started drinking and partying and quit going to church and thought, you know, I can, I can punish God uh, but in God's mercy, um, because of the relationship that I had with John Stone, I never stopped going to RUF, even though I stopped going to church. So I was still hearing the word every week. Um, and I still had that relationship with him. And, and, and you know, I, I say to this day that it was really my mother's prayer and John Stone's relationship that the relationship I had with him um, you know, humanly speaking, that preserved me in those years. Um, and so that was, you know, that definitely a difficult time. You know, I ended up having a relationship with him to, with my father to a degree for a time. Um, but it was never the same. Right. Right. And, um, the, your, your mother's diagnosis of cancer, that, that was, that was prior to your father leaving? That was the following year. So dad left in, in August of 94, Thanksgiving of 95. Mom okay. was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And um, that was kind of this like one-two punch, <laughs> you know, of, like still reeling from dad leaving. Um, and at that point when, when mom was diagnosed, she had um, moved from Birmingham. We lived in Birmingham um, when, when dad left. And um, this precious church in Yazoo City, Mississippi, um, where I was actually born, and um, my aunt and uncle um, lived there, and the church, um, Second Presbyterian Church in Yazoo City, had just been really, really precious um, to mom in the year following um, dad leaving, and um had taken care of her financially along with Briarwood where we were members um, at the time. And so that she did not have to work that first year. She homeschooled my brother and sister and um, it just allowed them to have some stability at home for that first year after he left. Mm. And, um, and so second prize in Yazoo city had a Christian school and um, they offered her a job teaching first grade. 
And so she moved to Yazoo City and taught um, first grade. And so that also put her closer to Jackson, where I was in school at Bellhaven. And then my sister um, joined me at Bellhaven. And so we were all, you know, close to each other within an hour of each other, which was really nice. Right. Um, so she lived in Yazoo City uh, when she was diagnosed um, with breast cancer. So. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely and kind, kind of in my, my head like really god <laughs> this is not fair you know you have now you took my father and now you're gonna take my mother um and um i think i, I spiraled further out of control um i was very depressed I was very angry mm. and um but um the lord was merciful and um did not um leave me <laughs> to my own devices for long so right. um she had um a mastectomy and six months of chemotherapy and was declared cancer free mm. and then went um almost five years cancer free before it came back in her bones um and it stayed stable in her bones for close to two years without spreading um, and so we had really, um, she had good quality of life and we had good, good time with her, um, when it did come back, um, you know, when it did start to spread, um, she was still, you know, she was in pain, but not, it was manageable and, um, really it was just, um, sort of the last two or three months of her life that, that she was sick. And so, um, we're grateful for that. Um, you know, she did not suffer for a really long time because sometimes, you know, the treatment and the kind of the end of cancer can be really long and drawn out and, um, right. it just wasn't for her. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, she died in, um, February of 2003. Okay. So at, at that point you were, you were still, reeling and um rebellious at that point too or you still no, so at that point <laughs> no at that point um i was our, i was our, it's a much better place i was um, 25 and um you know i been out of school working um had i had joined fresh press jackson some years before and not involved in any type of community there um which was, you know, on me. I, I went to church morning and night um, there each Sunday. Um, and, but I, I did not, I was not involved in any type of community, um, any type of small group type activities, Sunday school, discipleship groups or anything like that. Um, but I was definitely in a much better place spiritually Um and and so and i had met hudson in 2001 and we had been dating and and so it was kind of kind of right about the time mom's cancer came back is when i met hudson and so Mm, um it was it was this strange time of of being super happy and falling in love with the man i was going to marry and knowing that my mother was sick again and you know this roller coaster of good reports and bad reports with her but, um, you know, I was, I was dating a soon to be doctor <laughs> and, and he was probably the, 
he was the first one to actually look me in the eye and say, she's got months left, not years. And to help me kind of face that, um, wow. sooner. Um, and to, he is a very, um, calm and stable person, <laughs> right. um, which makes him a great physician. Um, he is kind and he is logical in the way he lays out information. And um, the Lord was sweet to bring him into my life when he did. And, um, mm. and, and he was really, um, you know, right there by my side through all of it. And, and we got engaged in November of 2002 and okay. we were going to um, get married in April of 2003. And then my sister <laughs> um, right. got engaged uh-huh. a month after us. And they were going to get married in May. And um, my sister and I have shared everything our entire lives. We're two years apart. But just we always shared a room. And then she came to college the same place I did. And then after college, we lived together. And I say really that had our husbands not come along and rescued us, we would have been the two old cat ladies of Bellhaven living <laughs> together. Um, which is really true. If our husbands ever die, we'll probably still move in together and just have a bunch of cats with our children. Um, and so, um, we did not want to share a wedding and, you know, I can remember even people saying, wait, y'all are going to have weddings one month apart. Like that's kind of a lot, like on the family. And we were like, we are not sharing our wedding. <laughs> y'all can forget <laughs> that. And then in, um, in January of 2003, mom had, had been really sick and no one could figure out why. I mean, you would think when she had cancer, they would, you know, put two and two together, but that's just the nature of the beast. Um, no scans showed anything new in progressing um, until finally um, it was her general physician who sent her to a GI who scoped her and found a new tumor. And so in January of 2003, she went in to have surgery um, to um, kind of take out this tumor in her duodenum to buy her time, we knew at this point when it's starting to spread to, to soft tissue in her, in her body, we're not, she's not going to live forever. Mm. Um, and when they opened her up, um, the surgeon came to us and the, the family in the, the, um, waiting room. And he said, I'm so sorry. When we opened her up, it's just everywhere. Oh. We had no idea. There's nothing we can do. And so, um, at that point, we had a lot of decisions to make about a lot of things and long story short, um, every possible scenario of, of us getting married was discussed. <laughs> and I mean, everyone, <laughs> um, every time frame, and, um, what we settled on was a double wedding moved up to March with the hope that she would be recovered from surgery. Right. But not too sick. Um, you know, so that she could be there. And about three weeks later, 
you know, there became a point where we, we knew we were going to reach a point of no return. We had, so we had five weeks basically from the time, from the time of her surgery to the time of our wedding was five weeks away. Right. And so there became a point of no return for the, the people helping us pull this wedding off. Um, and so then it became about three weeks and it became evident that she was not going to be able to be at our wedding. Um, mm. And she was deteriorating so rapidly. Um, and so then we were left with what happens if she's still alive and we have to have our wedding and we know she's languishing in this hospital room. What then? And, um, but, um, wow. you know, there was just so much, so much unknown. But those times in the hospital, you know, towards the end were really some of the most worshipful moments of my entire life um you know I, I know that um i won't know till eternity the lives that were impacted right. um by what went on in the hospital room you know for five weeks nurses and doctors and techs and janitors came in and out of that room and there were people reading scripture and praying and singing and just loving on her. Mm. Um, and I, I know that that had eternal significance for somebody. Sure. Um, and so that is just a beautiful comfort to me. Um, and that, that God can use, use that in people's lives. And there were, and there were, you know, a lot of nurses and, and staff that were believers that would come in and pray with us. And, you know, and that was, that was wonderful too. And, um, and just the, the way that the body of Christ rallied around us, we had this group of women, um, her friends from Yazoo city, um, and my uncle <clears throat> known for his humor, um, named them Trudy's troopers <laughs> because they, there was just a rotation of women who would spend the night with her in the hospital so that my brother and sister and I didn't have to. Um, wow. and that was just really restful for us so that we could kind of, I mean, I kept working and, you know, I was there every day, but just trying to kind of keep up with some semblance of normalcy in our lives a little bit. And, um, and people, you know, who, did our laundry and fed us and, um, and, you know, did just did so much for us. I mean, it was just a picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're grieving or going through a trial and you do not let people come alongside of you, you are missing out. Mm. You yourself are missing out on blessing and you are like, really depriving other people <laughs> right. of the gift of blessing you. Right, right. Um, it's such a blessing to them to be able to serve. Um, and, and it was sweet too for different people from other walks of life from her past got to come even and spend two or three nights here and there. Her college roommate, Joyce Herring, who herself um, died from cancer a few years ago, um, came and spent a few nights with her in the hospital and you know it's just it was such a precious long goodbye um mm. and and i'm grateful for that yeah. um and the the at the very end um the last few days she had been 
um, you know, very weak and unable to speak clearly. Um, and when she did, it was for funny things. Like she really wanted ice cream or sweet tea. <laughs> um, and then it was the, the day before she died. Um, there were probably about 20 people in her room. Um, I don't even know how many pastors and <laughs> elders were in there from how many different churches. Right, right. Um, she was in a hospital in Jackson and um, family and all sorts of things. And she, um, one of her favorite things we had read a bunch of times. Um, she loved to have read to her the um, part in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian and faithful are crossing the river. Oh. And, um, and when you get to the part where you know, Christian's so fearful and he's, he, he's kind of freaking out as he's crossing the river, you know, and, and faithful says, be of good cheer, brother. I feel the bottom and it is good. Mm-hmm. And she raised her weak fist and pumped it in the air. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, it was just, there were so many little moments like that, you know, that we'll just never forget. Um, and that she, she calls, you know, each of her children to her and, um, and Hudson was able to be there that day too. And she had words to speak to each of the three, each of the four of us, (laughs) um, that day that she wanted to say to, to each of us, um, to this day, I don't know what she said to the other ones, but I'll never forget what she said to me. Um, and, and then one of the pastors asked if she was, ready for us to pray that the Lord would take her. And she said, yes. And so he started to pray and, um, and I was just watching her and, um, my father's name is Tom, by the way, before I tell this part. And he was watching her. I was watching her while he, while he started to pray and she held up her hand and was trying to say something. And I said, wait, what is it mama? And she said, wait, Tell Tom I forgive him. Oh. And it was such a beautiful picture of how God is never finished with our sanctification until the end. And it was it was just about her and what God was doing with wow. her. It wasn't about anything that my father deserved or had asked for. And, you know, um, I heard a sermon when I was in eighth grade from R.C. Sproul at the Pensacola Theological Institute. Uh, yeah on death and dying and um and i and actually i didn't remember remember this from the eighth grade i listened to the tape later (laughs) (laughs) that he had the privilege of witnessing both of his parents die and he said we have so many examples of how to live the christian faith and it's such a privilege to watch a saint die Um, that we don't have as many examples of that and that he really counted it as a privilege to watch, you know, to be with his parents at the end. And I, and I count that a privilege to see how, how the Lord, um, was working in her heart to the end. Um, and that what an encouragement it is to know that, that he isn't finished with us till the end, (laughs) that he's sanctifying us until we breathe our last. Um, and so she actually didn't die until the early the next morning. Um, my brother and sister spent the night with her that night. And um, my sister called me early the next morning and said she's gone. And um, in God's providence, um, 
out of all the 365 days of the year that she could die, she died on my father's birthday. <laughs> and so I called him on his birthday and I said, mom died today. And the last clear words that she spoke were, tell Tom I forgive him. And he wept. And there have been times, many times in the last 15 years that I've in angry moments wished that the Lord had taken him and not her. Right. right. But her salvation was secure and his wasn't. And I, I don't pray for him like I should. Um, I honestly haven't spoken to him in 10 years. Right. Um, but I do believe that there's eternal significance in that, that there's nothing that is wasted in God's economy, no dates, nothing is accidental, um, and there's significance in all of that. Right. I just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So, yeah, so that's that story. <laughs> wow. So now your wedding then. So our wedding was 10 days later. Um, we had a double wedding and, um, so we buried mom on March, I mean, not March, February 27th. And we got married on March 8th at First Presbyterian Church in Yazoo City. Um, her funeral, her memorial service was in that same church. Um, it was right. actually the same church where my sister and I were baptized as infants. <laughs> <laughs> um, circle of life, yeah, right? Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. So, um, it was amazing and beautiful and joyful and a complete surprise because um the the people the women especially of first and second presbyterian church in yazoo city gave us this wedding as a gift because of how much they love us and love mom um other than picking the music I didn't, we didn't really do anything. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. We just showed up and got married. <laughs> oh. um, and there were a ton of people there. And, um, you know, a lot of people have said, oh my goodness, I just don't know how you even got married 10 days after your mom died. And honestly, it was really easier then to do it than it would have been a year later because we were, the, the shock was still in place. You know, God doesn't um, make us feel the weight of our grief all at once. <laughs> Right, um, right. There was some shock still. There was relief at that point still that she wasn't suffering. Um, and there were certainly tears of sadness that day, but there was a lot of joy, too. Um, and um, and we were we were with our friends and our family, and it was a celebration, um, and it was beautiful. Wow. And I wouldn't have done it any other way, and it was... Um, crazy it's a crazy story everyone's always like wait you had a double <laughs> wedding like how did that even work right like right. well you know honestly i always wanted to get married in a church with a center aisle and this church didn't have a center aisle which was kind of a bummer except that it worked for our purposes <laughs> because our brother gave us both away and he walked me down one aisle and then he walked up the other aisle and walked back down with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we recessed, we crossed and walked back up the opposite aisle. So um, wow. it was sweet. It really yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I, you know, you, you've somewhat already a answered this question throughout the process mm -hmm. of, uh, of telling um, that, that story. 
Um, I'll ask it a little bit different way and maybe I'll tease out um, some stuff here. Yeah. Um, if you hadn't experienced um, all of that, what would you not know about Christ now? <clears throat> or to put it the other way, mm-hmm. what are some what are some things about Christ you know now because you've gone through that situation, that circumstance? Yeah. Um, it, that his grace is sufficient. I mean, that you know that at the end of the day, you know, it's easy. Sometimes people um, will think uh, really good, you know. Well, hear my story or I've heard other people's stories and thought, oh, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could go through that. That's just awful. Um, but, it, and, and we say God's grace is sufficient all the time to the point where it sounds almost cliche to say right, it right. in certain circles. Sure. <laughs> but it's so true. And when you, you go through those times where, where you really do taste <laughs> and see that the Lord is good. And mm. you, where prayer is like breathing, <laughs> right. um, you know, where you're not necessarily having these, you know, long drawn out prayer sessions, but you're kind of not ever not praying. <laughs> right. Um, right. And so having those moments, um, you know, draw where you're so drawn to Christ um, are, are sweet and it's you, you don't really it's, it's kind of like you know I really wish I could have that without the trials <laughs> like right, why did I right. go through the trials to get to that place right <laughs> um, but you know and, and then what it also does too as I think what what I've seen is with each trial what I'm able to do then is is look back and see God's faithfulness mm-hmm. and see, okay, well, he was with me then. So I have no reason to not believe he's going to be with me now. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the stacking stones of memorial, you know, like the Israelites did in the desert. It's, it's remembering what God's done. Right. And, you know, had I not experienced those things. Right. I would enter into new trials and new hardships with more fear. Right. Um, not that there isn't sometimes. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. But I am able in more calm, rational moments to remember and right. recall what God has done. Right. Wow. Um, do you find that um, you've had more opportunity to um, uh, just empathy with other people who have been through similar circumstances and. Absolutely. And, and, and like we talked about earlier with um, second Corinthians one, I mean, I, I usually, when I kind of tell my story in a group setting from, from start to finish, it's, you know, that's one of the reasons that we do suffer is so that, comfort others with the comfort that um we've received from god and um and i think to you know we do god a disservice if we just turtle ourselves right <laughs> in our right. own pain um right. and it's given me um 
a lot of opportunity to um, to experience um, you know to, to yeah to have a lot of empathy for other people whether wherever they are sometimes right. even if it's not maybe a trial that I have particularly you know that I myself have gone through I can still empathize with with where they are yeah um, isn't that interesting it almost compounds um yeah you know when you go through trial it does make you more empathetic towards a, multi- a multitude of different <laughs> yeah for sure scen- scenarios exactly. yeah. yeah um yeah. definitely made me more emotional right. <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was you know when you, when you uh put on the uh, pre-interview form that you uh you and Hudson watch The Office a lot in the evenings because it's 20 minutes of just joy and laughter. Yes. And, yes. you know, I do think the older, older we get and the more we, we go through these struggles, the more we need those times of just, yeah. you know, Holly and I talk a lot about just how few and far between belly laughs are anymore. Right. So we, we appreciate them that much more when they do actually happen. So. Yeah. It's hard, and, you know, especially with his job. I mean, he's, you know, he has to deal with death and, and hard times, hard discussions with family and end of life issues all the time. And when he comes home, he says he doesn't want to watch anything that right, he's right. make, him, make him think about his day. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, wow. So anyway, yeah. Well, thank you for, for sure. sharing that story. Golly. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fish Food. Two things to remember if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Simply go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support. That will take you to a link so that you can become a patron. And again, thank you for the support.